You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Sumit Bose speaks with Peter King, head of energy and utilities at Cap Gemini Invent, as they discuss whether or not we still need large energy infrastructure projects to reach net zero and whether we need a new regulatory model to help us reach our goals. Pete, thanks for joining me. Um, can you tell a little bit about what, what you do at Capgemini and, and what your particular areas of, of expertise are? Yeah, absolutely. So at my and our business is all around large-scale transformation of energy clients. So uh, myself and my team, we've all got many years' experience of, uh, of large-scale digital transformation, large-scale business model transformation, uh, reacting to regulatory change, customer change, um, and really helping the energy sector transform transform itself. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Now, you couldn't think of a bigger transformation before before COVID happened than the pathway to net zero. You know, yeah. you know we've been in the, the world long enough to know what was happening before. And let's just go back before we talk about COVID. Um, were you surprised? Were you, or did you see it coming? that the UK government would set in the 2050 target last summer in law. And also that you'd see, you know, this, this, this sort of, I don't know, it happened really fast. The words yeah. net zero, we did yeah, a, yeah. a little Google search. It's traction for the last yeah. two years was absolutely zilch. And then it just rocketed yeah. over the last sort of seven, eight months, not even a year. So were you surprised about that? And do you think it actually focused minds in the energy sector to say actually sustainability now is not a nice to have it's it's an absolute mandatory thing to yeah. do yeah so i think i think it's not a surprise and it's a really nice example of um pressure of society putting pressure on the government and the government reacting having said that i think you can track back to um, that government decision as a really pivotal point mm. in the change of the energy market and the energy sector um, because you could almost to the day where your chart is tracking up on net zero, we, are, we hardly ever talk about energy trilemma anymore. And, it's very true. And the, um, and the pressures are still there and that hasn't gone away. Um, but the, the purpose of the business and the purpose of our clients is all now um, around um, transitioning to, to net zero. And energy is absolutely central to that because of the CO2 emissions. So, yeah. Uh, I spoke to a CEO who, who basically said to me, net zero is energy. Is that yeah. too, too, too uh, sort of no, simplistic? No. I, I think the causes and the uses of energy are, part, uh, are additional to that. But, but absolutely, if you look at um, the energy usage in the UK, we're still 50% oil and gas. Um, you know, we've, we've done some charts that sort of show the energy mix. And if you, you know, so the UK is an energy, a leader in offshore wind. Yeah. Uh, but you have to look really hard to find offshore wind in the total amount of, of UK energy. Uh, energy. So, um, and that all, that non-renewable production all drives CO2. So 500 million tonnes a year of CO2 production all gets tracked back to how we use energy. So. So it's, yeah, I see them as one of the same thing. Yeah, because it's interesting because yeah. people have talked about things like obviously plastics and things that have caught the public yeah. imagination. Yeah. But, 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 you know, the whole kind of oil and gas thing, it's that classic thing you say to people, oh yeah, that's great, but hang on, would you like to do without the power? And then it, it all falls down. Yeah. I, I could 
completely. And I, one of the things I've talked to my team about is, you know, um, the things that people got passionate about, like plastic straws and going vegan and all that, yeah, all they're, all, about, they're, yeah. they're all really good things to do, but they don't shift the dial mm. and they don't move the dial in the scale that we need to move the, the dial in order to get to net zero by 2050. And really to get to net zero by 2050 that means that big chunks of industry need to be there by 2030 because the tail is going to be hard and so uh, that rapid transformation of, of energy use is um, demands really very rapid action. So. We, we spoke to uh, Lord Deben from the Climate Change Committee and also some of the scientists who helped come up with this came up with this target and they pitched it as saying that actually it's one of those targets where you can get criticized from both sides you know, you're not moving fast enough, says Greta and Extinction Rebellion or whatever. And then other people say, this is just too fast. You can't do it in, in 30 years, bearing in mind where we've come from in the last 30 years. But the, the driver that they chose was they figured it would work out roughly for the UK. And I'm just talking UK. Around about 3% GDP. Um, where do you see the, the legitimacy of the target? Is it a valid target? And also, do you think it's an affordable target? Yeah, I, I I go even further. So if you look at um, some of the decisions we need to make in order to achieve it as well, they're very significant decisions. So you know, 3% GDP would put us into recession for, for, for a number of years. Now, nobody nobody's going to sign up to that. So that's a, that, you're absolutely right. That's a really hard target. But also, if we're going to shift away from fossil fuel, then we need to move to renewables. Now, we either need to build millions of wind farms or we need to embrace nuclear or perhaps both. Yeah. And, you know, our calculations say, well, we've currently got you know, between 10 and 20 nuclear power stations in the UK. They're all coming to the end of the life. You know, just to maintain existing, we're going to need to build 20 more. Um, but if we're switching off oil and gas at the same time, we're going to need to build 20 more. So we're now at 40. But... Yeah, but it's not always windy and it's not always sunny. So now we're at 50 and France has got 58 nuclear power stations. So we as a society need to accept that we may need to make some tough decisions along with that. And that's one of the, um, that's one of the tough decisions we'll need to make. That's, um, where, where do you think coronavirus has put all this? Because obviously we're living in a, some would say, you know, you've seen all the things, which is, and we'll put away the, the health side and the tragic human cost. We, we all accept that. But looking at it, there's been, you've seen the coverage, you know, people can see the Himalayas from parts of India, the, the, the fish are in the canals yeah. in Venice, London, I've got sparrows in my garden here, which <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen yeah. in about 10 years yeah, yeah. in North London. Um, <clears throat> the, the, some, some, some have said that we're having a weird little taster of a utopian life, yeah. but it's not really a utopian life because no. we have no economy, do we? No. No, well, first of all, I mean, it's a huge human tragedy. The, the, the number of people who have been affected, the number of people who have died is just mind-blowing, the, the numbers you know, in the UK and globally. So you know, we, we mustn't lighten yeah, that as a, as, a, as, a, as a problem. The, um, but yes, I, um, we, we've characterised this in really three phases. There's the immediate um, response, the, the crisis response, the stage we're in at the moment. Yeah. Um, then hopefully in a few weeks' time, we'll move back to recovery. Um, but then we will come to the new business models and the new mm. the new way of working that this is. And and I think you're absolutely right that people won't want to go back to um, the way they were before. And my human example is, you know, nobody's drinking 
bottled water at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So why why would we go back to a world where we drink bottled water again? Um, we've massively reduced transport. Why would we go back to where we were? And I think that's really exciting and really interesting to see how business models will develop, expectations will change, um, and you know, and maybe this is a good thing for the planet. And 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 if businesses can shift their operating models and the way they operate to in post-COVID world, they'll be successful. So, do do yeah. you think? I mean, well, let me ask you your your personal view, because you know you sound fairly positive, and I've met CEOs mm -hmm. and other people in the sector who, who are positive that we will shift because we've seen what we've done and the damage we've done. It's been a lesson to us. But there are the voices, which are legitimate voices, saying, hang on a second, we'll be in an economic wasteland after this, and we may go, what is the cheapest form of energy that we can have? That's yeah. oil and gas. Do I really want to put huge um, tariffs of renewable energy and, and the surcharges on, and will businesses accept that? So where do you see that play between yeah. the emotional thing that we'd like to be cleaner, but the, yeah. the economic realities of where will there be any money? Will people revert to time? You're, you're absolutely right. The, none of this works if we destroy the economy. Uh, and none of it works if we haven't got a functional economy that actually supports yeah. this. Because um, the Gulf states, the Americans and ourselves will continue to produce oil. We're not going to stop mm. until it becomes uneconomic to do it. And so governments, have, what I do see as hope, though, is you're absolutely right. The, the economy will be on its knees. The way for us to get out of that is by investment spending and that investment spending on renewable energy, potentially nuclear power stations, enhanced electricity grids, yeah, hydrogen. Those are all really sensible things to be spending our money on um, and for energy companies to be investing in. And that I think is a is a is part of the path out of out of this. Is that a commercial decision, or does that need a government lever? I think it, all of these things need both. And the energy sector has always been has always walked a very tight line between um, uh, regulation and um, and commerciality, mm. and 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 consequently, um, the government needs to encourage and take some of the. The constraints off of the energy companies so we talked to one energy network who said we would love to do this but we're just not you know the regulator doesn't allow us to spend yeah. this sort of speculative money so i think that has to change and i think um there's a space for the regulator and the the energy companies as well to both say come on let's let's move at a faster pace yeah okay i'm going to promote yeah. you you're, you're now pro you're now advising uh, energy the energy yeah. industry of the whole uk right, right. so here, here we go <laughs> in, the, in, the, in my surreal world yeah um do we need exactly that the shackles coming off and a change of regulation to say if we're going to have a greener grid well if we're going to have storage you know the dnos as you said they're not allowed to do that at present and there are sort of lots of implications of how we move to this decentralized energy do you think we need to really rethink how we've structured energy because the old model big power station cables yeah. down to the house isn't going to be the model in the future yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and, and and there are really good examples where 
um, uh, that, and let me be positive that yeah. the regulators and the energy companies are doing a lot of good things. Yeah. That, so peer-to-peer -peer energy and some of the trials that are being run around peer-to-peer -peer energy, that is clearly the future. Hydrogen trials that are being run, clearly the future. Um, I think though that you know, we need to we need to set a horizon that says very quickly, and that's in the space of months, that the shackles are removed for those new business models. So what so, changes in regulation? Yeah, completely. So if you want to participate in the energy retail business in the UK at the moment, you have to sign up to thousands of pages of regulation. Even if you want to set up um, a small peer-to-peer -peer energy network in your local town, you, you signed up to massive amounts of regulation. Uh, and that's just that's just not right. You know, the government needs to move. Um, the public sector also needs to come in and say, we want to take that role. Yeah. Uh, and, um, oh, sorry, the private sector needs to take that role. And, and then the two of them, and um, between the two of them, we can accelerate the pace of change. Because I, I, there will be lots of businesses out there who want to set up smaller scale battery, mm -hmm. small scale electric vehicles, community energy projects. Um, and at the moment, the regulation is very restrictive on that. There are some good reasons for that because we don't want cowboys running our energy network. Yeah. But uh, similarly, the the whole rule book applying to everybody needs to change. Let's move on to two uh, other areas which I think are quite interesting in, in in the sort of net zero future. Is the net zero future? You you touched on it there. Is it still about big infrastructure? You talked about you know we do need nuclear. Would the public go for it? Who knows? Hinkley's been cooking away should have been producing power about three years ago so you know all of these things have happened do we do we need to still think that and the second part is the whole you know we're doing it now we're communicating online a whole digital transformation of energy how that will be in terms of the energy that that's got and also the, the security around that so let's start with the first thing yeah. <clears throat> to get net zero do we still need big things yeah Unfortunately, yes. I mean, I, 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 I read and I'm really interested and intrigued by the people who think they've found a path by which we don't need large scale, um, you know, industrial scale, national scale infrastructure. Um, but yeah, the work we've done just says it's just not possible for the individual to move at the pace that that would be that would be required so as much energy flows through the gas interconnector in the uk as flows through the entire electricity network at the moment so um so we need to replace that energy somehow that's not going to happen on an individual level we need we need massive investment into that into that um yeah it might be nuclear it might be wind well it, it needs to be it needs to be a really mixed view of those so, so, so yeah. you still so the idea that we'll all be on distributed power grids locally it, it just won't cut it i think no i think we will i think it's both though so i think you know, your town and your village and your city um will manage and um and there's really interesting trials being done around you know substations and how you can yeah. load balance around substation i think that's fascinating and i think that is absolutely part of this of the future um but it's it's part of the future and the, the energy shift uh, needs to be another part of that future as well, and and that needs big big government big government intervention. Yeah. And it needs big things being built still. It does. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the data side of things. Yeah. Um, everyone talks about smart. We still haven't got my smart meter in. You know, but you know, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. All all the data points that will allow us. You know, this idea that the more you measure, 
then you get an idea of what you're using and that changes behavior to get to net zero. I think everyone would agree that makes sense. But then the, the problem is, you know, that data, the, the, the farms are churning that out. Suddenly you've got an analog system having to get digital. And then you've also got, well, I've got rid of all my big power plants, but actually how much energy is all my data using? Uh, yeah. how, how what's your research and what's your thoughts around that uh, massive I, and this is a conversation we've been having with our clients for for at least two two three years now and the how you utilize the data is a real competitive advantage for customers so that's you know that's the economic case the company you know there's no secret that the big five companies in the world today are all data companies at the heart of them and Ooh. and the idea that you can be a leader in energy without being a leader in energy data just doesn't make sense to me so so i think from a commercial business perspective um it's a data first strategy and and so that's that's really important um but let's just take yeah that's the big picture let's take it down to the individual level as well so you've got an electric vehicle on your drive a solar panel on your roof you've got a time of use tariff providing your energy you're in a peer-to-peer -peer network you've got a battery mm. already that's far too complex for any human optimize yeah. so the need and that's some we've just that's one house so we then talk about that as a, a housing estate or a town or a city there's no way that any individual could optimize that that network and so we need really intelligent data-driven systems to manage that network and um and because of those systems we'll be able to transition towards net zero so what's the challenge around the embedded carbon question in all of this yeah so it's really interesting and um so I, and i really liked the um sort of talk by humphrey Cadu hudson who's leading the sizewell and um, he basically said we offset our carbon um within the first year of production within the first year of running and so i i think it's i wouldn't want to belittle the argument but i would say um, well, two things. One is the, there's always a cost of transition and there's a carbon cost of transition as much Absolutely. as there's a financial cost of transition. But, but also the idea that we can carry on as we are is, is a fallacy as well. Mm. So if we, if we say, oh, no, it's too expensive or, or that, that slab of concrete that we needed to pour was so significant that it doesn't make sense. But then the alternative is never to change. And, mm. and, and I don't think that can be the answer either. Just to end, how do you think the energy sector, as we go back, let's go back to where we said, we said that, you know, net zero really is about energy. How do you think it will adjust to this transition? Because in a way, you know, we've seen it with COVID, all eyes are on, you know, you wouldn't have the power for the NHS hospitals without the energy sector, yeah, yeah. right? The resilience of the network has been astounding and brilliant in yeah. a time of crisis for us. But as it has to change so rapidly, you know, 30 years seems like it's so not that long to, to, to change. How do you think the sector will cope? And do you believe there is the will now, you know, when you advise clients that they, 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 they don't think the short five years, they're now thinking 10, 15, 20, yeah. that this isn't what they have to do? I think it's a really interesting challenge for the people in, in our sector. And, and I think you've got, um, you've got CEOs who who will never get away from quarterly results. You know, that is, they are, yeah, yeah. That, that's that is life. Yeah, that is absolutely life. It's and, ingrained, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And the and their finance director who sits next to them will 
bang, 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 you know, we need to deliver the in quarter. And that that's never going to change. And so um, and so the idea that we can only f focus on five years hence is, is, is crazy. We need to focus on short term customer service, cost optimization, asset management. That's still really is integral to our into our sector i think though for people this provides a really interesting opportunity to bring um both this the stability and the resilience that you talked about you know the power to the hospitals the people who've done a fantastic job for the last 30 40 50 years building that resilient system but bringing in as well the people who can help transition into the new as well and so so i see uh, and i've seen this in our clients already a lot of um, new thinking, a lot of new people coming into the, into the sector, and I think that's really healthy and uh, and very positive as well. Yeah. Will our children live in a net zero world? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I, and and it's something you know I've championed. Uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, at my home here. You know, I've I've got a, a Tesla, which I I think is fantastic. I've got an air source heat pump. I've got a smart meter, uh, and I'm trying to to do the, the little things that I yeah. can um to make a difference and and i think if if everybody does that alongside some big industrial shifts and some big government shifts then there's every chance that they will um i think we've this is a very much a uk conversation i yes. i i think as uk we can lead in here as, yeah. a, as a as a world scale industrial business uh, industrial country we can take the lead here whether every country can come on that i I don't know. No, absolutely. I think we can take the lead, yes. Peter, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Simon. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.